Hi. Welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly program where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. We are doing this live. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City. I'm joined by my two very best friends, Jason in D.C. Hey, Chris. And Trisha in L.A., who is late because she's trapped in Los Angeles traffic. Our first live episode. Our first live episode, and Trisha cannot get it together. Please keep that in mind, all you people out there who are Team Trisha. Trisha. That's right. Yeah. Jason and I were committed. We cleaned our clear our entire schedules to do this all day long, and Trisha couldn't even be bothered. So I don't know what to say about that. Or she's anyway, purposely uh, delaying so she can make a dramatic entrance. She can make a grand entrance. Hijack the <laughs> so, conversation. Yeah. So, so Trisha actually will be here in a couple of minutes, and we are going to warm up people for her. So uh, this is live as we're saying it. You are hearing it, which is not usually how we do things. If you are watching this on our YouTube watch page, you can <laughs> you can chat with us, and we'll get the chats in real time. And hopefully, some people will want to come onto the show. If you message us your Gmail address on Facebook, that's probably the easiest way. Or if you're comfortable, just put it on the chat on YouTube. If you have no fear, then we can add you in. And maybe you have something interesting to say. If you don't, we'll just uh, cut your mic and move on. So, Jason, what's up? You know, I have to admit, I noticed that one of our followers, one of our listeners, posted that he, <laughs> is it true that the whole episode is going to be about the late, great Alan Thicke? I actually didn't realize Alan Thicke died. I had to, like, Google that to see if that was true. Oh, no, Alan Thicke has died. I've yeah, been staying. I, I thought it might be an, an invitation for Kirk Cameron to say something really, really terrible because that's sort of like his thing. But so far, he's been very quiet. Alan Thicke died while playing hockey with his son. Oh, which, I didn't even know that part. Yeah, wow. it was like his chest hurt. He threw up, and then he just died, uh, which was sad. 69 sounds really young to go, plus, you know, growing pains, which, you know what the thing about those shows? I, always, I, I know a lot of things about those shows. What are you going to say? Those shows, always two staircases. <laughs> right? Always two That's staircases. True. That's not and, what I was expecting you to say. That's true. Growing pain is supposed to take place on Long Island where I grew up. And let me tell you something. No one had two staircases. Again, two staircases, one room away from each other. Like your staircase living room and a staircase in the kitchen. Same there thing in different strokes. be some reason for that, right? Like well, there's got to be something about for, blocking with the actors. Well, it's so you can have more comings and goings, right? Yeah, 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 you can yeah. have characters enter from the kitchen. You can have characters enter from the living room. And lots of chances for hilarious listening to other people. <laughs> I thought what you were going to say is eavesdropping is what I meant to say when Seinfeld came out and what was so I mean this sounds stupid but I never realized and it didn't even occur to me that you could have a sitcom that didn't have that wasn't like a morality play because Growing Pains and all of those shows you know they all were sentimental they had a there was always a lesson at the end I mean they were really morality plays yeah and I, I never it like it never occurred to me that that was like a construct until watching Seinfeld and it was like there there's no sentimentality at all it's the same you know 30 30 minute format um you know ensemble cast and yet no never towards the end is there sentimental music being played as someone sits someone else down and explains to them what it means to be a friend or whatever like that was like a that was a real shock well 
you know what? Since Trisha uh, refuses to join us, uh, <laughs> since she has completely abandoned the podcast, uh, we have a listener who wants to come on and take her place, albeit Let's do it. a short time. So we are going to bring her on here and see if she's better at this than Trisha is. Oh, wow. You know what, Trisha? Being late just may have cost you your high-paying yeah, job on this podcast. Cut. You're going to be cut. She's going to be cut. This is new for all of us. If you're listening, prepare for like the best 90 minutes of technical difficulties that you have ever experienced. <laughs> you barely know what we're doing. And so now Ooh, on the I'm call, I'm we, have, over. we have Janina with us. Hi, Janina. Hello. Hi, Welcome Janina. to Outrageous. Yeah, thanks for joining oh, us. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So let's start with, first of all, uh, you are the new third host on the show. <laughs> So, oh, I have to mute my YouTube. Okay, yeah, sorry. There, yeah. yeah. When we bring you on, please. I, I should YouTube. know better. This isn't my first time at the rodeo. No, it's not. You have a. You actually run another podcast w- that has Trisha on it, which she is always on time for, unlike ours. But whatever. Because you guys are the stepchild podcast. Didn't you know that? Thank you. Okay. Okay. You know what? This is a great way to. Improve, you know? Yeah, this is great. <laughs> Somehow Trisha is still. <laughs> Fucking up our shit, like without even being here. <laughs> Trisha's still. Janina, thanks for being Robert. here. <laughs> no, you're welcome. No. Janina, this is the Alan Thick Hour. Do you have any <laughs> memories well, of Alan Thick that you want to share with us? Any um, any memories of early Leonardo DiCaprio that? Hmm. No, sorry. Okay, I don't. Well, what do you want to talk I about? I mean, we could talk about Robin Thick. Oh, let's talk about Robin Thicke. Do we have to? No, we don't have to. <laughs> but that's all I've got as far as the Thick family. Thick family. Sorry. That's, that's funny. You like that? Yeah. So, Janina, you listen to our podcast, I take it. Mm-hmm. And so we're, yeah. just as- we're just asking everybody. Um, so are you team – hashtag team Chris, hashtag team Jason, or hashtag team Trisha? Why are you punishing I us? I think I am probably hashtag – uh, team Trisha, hashtag always feel sorry for Jason, hashtag oh, Chris is you. mean. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? You said you were hashtag mean. Hashtag Chris is mean. I'm you're the mean, mean one. I am not the mean one. Oh, Who the hell oh. do you think you're talking to? Get off they my podcast. To you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> She's right. Why do you feel bad I for Jason? Right. Jason's a grown man who can hold him. I've been arguing with Jason for my entire adult life. He can handle it. I feel like Jason's place in the podcast is almost like my place in my podcast. Sometimes where you're trying to play the devil's advocate and everybody jumps your shit. <laughs> it's reverse racism. You know, See? well, get, get, there's nothing reverse about it. No. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that's the role I play on the podcast. Cause Jason's always like shiny, happy idea. And you know, I walk in. I'm like, "Fuck your idea, yeah. kid." And I'm like, that, that's not devil's kidding. advocate, Chris. That's dismissive. <laughs> you dismiss other ideas. There's a difference. <laughs> he doesn't deny this. Not really. No. Oh, I, I, I'm not dismissive. I just I think your ideas have to be tested for intellectual rigor. Okay. Why don't you share with Janina and the audience your your idea about social media that we talked about when when I was in New York last week? So, Janina, this is what uh, we were discussing. So. I was talking about, like, I don't know if you heard, but Donald Trump is president-elect of the United States of America. 
I'm and ignoring keep, that. Keep that confidential. Okay. Nobody knows. <laughs> Secrets. <laughs> anyway, as as part of that, we were as last episode. I think we were talking about tr- Trump's tweets and uh, just all the shit that he gets away from and gets away with, and fake news being this terrible phenomena. And I was thinking we should just cancel all social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Keep grinder. Get rid of the rest of them. <laughs> because I just, I think the ability that we as individual people cannot control ourselves when it comes to spreading information. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to take in information. We should not be charged with selling it, uh, with spreading it. Janina, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's pretty unfair. Just because he's an idiot doesn't mean that we're all idiots. You don't get well, to put us in that box. I don't know if you've been on Twitter, but he's not the only idiot. No, I know. You're right. It's really sad, isn't it? I've actually been trying to stay away because it makes me angry. Some of the stuff I see and the ignorant stuff that you see. And I just, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, I can't, like, why hasn't someone taken away this man's phone? Why has this not happened? Why is this okay? See, but it's, but it's not just Trump. Like Trump, that's a nightmare. He should have his phone taken away. He should be put to bed without a story. Uh, just get out of here. But I'm talking about everybody else. Like we cannot control the methods. Individuals are doing a terrible job at controlling the methods of information delivery. De- all sorts of fake information is being thrown around. We had Pizzagate happen last week where a guy stormed into a pizza place looking, hoping to catch Hillary Clinton in the act of molesting children or something like Talk about testing for intellectual rigor. And, and John Podesta um, worshiping the devil. Uh, and I, I think I mentioned, I was actually on uh, my bus back from New York. I was with the guy's father, the pizza gay father. But, you know, Janina, you're, you're engaging with the substance of Chris's argument. What I love about it is the verb cancel. It sounds like a Bernie Sanders policy platform. Like, what's the path <laughs> to canceling social media, Chris? Like, what does that look like? I, I imagine there's a big red button in a room somewhere. And you just like... <laughs> You hit it with like a cartoon mallet and then like everything just goes dead. No, I mean, I'm being facetious, but I'm also being a little serious. Like, I don't think we actually asked ourselves the question, like, what can this sort of thing do? Like, how can this bring us low? And I just think, I mean, maybe not canceling it, but we have to stop its proliferation, have to stop. I mean, that's a bit directed and dramatic, but. Well, I think the beauty of it all is, your social media page is yours and you can control what you see and what you choose not to see. So for me, you know, if you see someone on your Twitter timeline and they're just constantly an idiot, you get rid of them. It doesn't solve the problem, but I can't control what anybody else does anyway. So I can get rid of them out of my life. And Mm. that's enough for me. But what if, and this is an actual thought I had today. What if, I started a fake news story about how Donald Trump caught kissing Putin's feet and I Photoshopped the picture and I spread that around and all the electors saw it uh, next week and they all voted for Hillary Clinton and then she's president. Well, why don't you try that? Hold on a second. (laughs) I'll be right back. Just embrace the post-factual world. I hear a familiar laugh. Do we have a new – did someone join the podcast? I think it's a former host. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Hello. Who's this? Who's this? <laughs> uh, of course. It's Team Trisha. Oh. Yeah, hi, Trisha. 
<laughs> oh, you've met Janina. Janina. Oh, yes. Janina was happy to fill in for you, and she's going to be getting your paycheck for this episode. So. Oh, oh, shit. Chris pays? Wait a minute. Real? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that check for uh, $2.45 yeah. yeah. will we, be. We split it. Hey, I haven't gotten any money. Where's my $2.45? The split on this podcast is 80%, 10%, 10%. We just decided we formalized that today. <laughs> All by Chris. So sorry, Janina. y'all. Welcome. Oh, someone Janina. said, I hope fake Trish can hang. Apparently, they've never listened to the Real Tennis Fans podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so again, if you if you follow the link, you can uh, – well, if you're on the YouTube page, you can join the chat that is blowing up at this moment. Janina, is there anything else you want to say? Any questions you want to ask before we say goodbye to you? We have to catch up with Trisha. It's been a minute. Yeah, but that, I feel like, Janina, we, we didn't give you the opportunity to like – I'm sure you didn't just want to come on. Well, you know, I, I, Chris, I want to know why you're so mean. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that that is not a legitimate question that I is. feel like I have to answer. Well, you do because we're here and I know that you and Trisha are the best of friends and she's amazing. So that means you must be amazing or she wouldn't <laughs> like you. Okay. That is absolutely true. Yes. I am. And I can't always like you when I listen to the podcast. You make me very angry. Me? Yes. Oh, I'm always so oh. agreeable. I'm going to pop some popcorn. Hold on, please. Okay. <laughs> How am I mean? How am I mean? I, you're, you're very attacking. Oh. You attack. Maybe it's, it's passion. I don't know. <laughs> but confusing passion. It's not. It's just arrogance. I don't think it's is that passion. what it is. It's just <gasps> arrogance. Wow. You know what? No. No. I mean, because you know what? Real says, says that you're nice too, and I'm like, I gotta figure. I gotta meet him in person. I guess. <laughs> you know what? That, that's never happening now. <laughs> because you made a terrible first impression. <laughs> you know what? Though I think Chris takes his role as Taskmaster really seriously. And so maybe Someone's that's how steal it this comes fucking in. ship. People show up late. <laughs> Jason had, had tech problems right before we started this. Listen, there's one adult on this podcast. <laughs> but well, I, I want to. No, I want to. Janina, ask- in all seriousness, I'm not mean. I just, I'm very passionate about the things that we're talking about, and maybe it's uh, you know it, the three of us, me, Trisha, and Jason, have been having conversations like this for almost two decades. The three of us together. We know that there's no malice here. At least I hope. I don't think Jason and Trisha are walking around thinking I mean. Most no, of the time, they dismiss the fuck out of my ideas. <laughs> I'm just, now I'm wondering if I've just like, I'm just being passive. Maybe I should be fighting back more against you, Chris. You know what? <laughs> I do not like back. this narrative at all. <laughs> well, Janina, hey, guys. Do you have anything else to add before we on. hang up? <laughs> well, never again. Well, Janina, thanks I mean, for being here. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before Janina goes, did you all sort of cover any kind of general, you know, what's been on your mind this week, Janina, in the world of news or no? What? Um, you know what? This week, I can't even say this week. Since Election Day, honestly, I've tried to stay away because I just had this conversation earlier with somebody else. I cannot read something and think about it for a minute and walk away. I go all in. So I got to either go all in or just stay away. And I've had to stay away. I've had to just stay away. Is that going to be your approach post Trump? No, I, mean, I just Trumpian world. I need a mental break. Mm-hmm. So that's still where I am. 
because this is a question I've been seeing people, you know, I've seen a couple of people talk about how are they going to kind of live in a sort of Trump universe? And um, do you think you're going to re-engage though? Or, or you to. feel like you feel like you have to because some people feel yeah. like they, they, they're just going to put their head in the sand for a while and just kind of. No, no, I won't do that. I mean, I have to because, you know, I, I like to know what's going on. I can't mm-hmm. just pretend like nothing's happening, no matter how horrible it might all become. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, yeah, I just I got to back off. Maybe like a maybe like a, um, a holiday break before you come ready. <laughs> I'll come back when I have to come back to the tennis. I'll come back to the world. <laughs> But I have to say though, like, but Janina, like, I just, what's a break gonna do? Like, you, how do you prepare for something like the series finale of America, which is <laughs> gonna start broadcasting January twentieth? I didn't say that I was gonna be prepared. I just said I need a mental break. Okay, fair, fair. <laughs> just a rest. Just a She's gonna out. store up. She's gonna yeah. give herself a lot of like, you know, a lot of vitamins. Right. Right. <laughs> Do a cleanse. Do a fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, Janina, thank you for being here. Thank you, Janina. Thank you for filling Thanks in for Patricia letting me come on. Absolutely. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk off air, just in case we do need to move in a different direction with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Janina, thank you, Janina. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, Bye Janina. <laughs> That's great. Oh boy, she's great, huh? That was fun. Really, that was so really Trish, fun. what was your, what's your LA story? <laughs> what was the traffic doing? Oh my god! Sorry, you know i i I gave myself ninety minutes to get home. It wasn't long. <laughs> it wasn't enough. <laughs> Oh my God, that's kind of crazy, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm act. My work is 12 miles away from me, <laughs> but 90 minutes was still not enough time. So, unfortunately, so I was like, you know, I had to do a quick text and say, you know, traffic is um hell right now. So I'm experiencing the full LA experience. So I'm happy to be back, though. I missed y'all. So well, let's get into you. it. Yeah, we had to start the show without you, and no one was listening because let's face it, you're you're the headliner, what? and we're just we're Effie and that other girl from Dream Girls. So <laughs> we can go. Any well, we're already going, honey. It's been it's, <laughs> yeah, it's we've been, been going for, for twenty minutes. Hour, <laughs> <laughs> we we did All actually right. start without you. We didn't want to completely let everyone down. No, yeah, it's okay, did. people. So the only thing you missed so far is that we talked about Alan Thicke dying. So. Um, oh, I, I saw can that. See that I one of, I'm watching the chat page, and one of our listeners wants us mm-hmm. to talk more about Alan Thicke. So, what what are your impressions what? of Alan Thicke? I mean, I'm sort of upset that he gave us a son that is kind of crazy, but uh, that's about He's not it. related to Kirk Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant the other one. She means Robin Thicke. Wait, Robin why is he crazy? <laughs> that? Why would you call him Robin Thicke? He he sings rapey songs and he steals lyrics. No. You know what? Actually, I, let me. I mean, I have to sort of ponder Alan Thicke because Alan Thicke is kind of like my only context for Alan Thicke is really as TV dad. No. Uh, also, he wrote a lot of theme songs for shows. I think he wrote. He, correct me, internet. I think he wrote the theme song for Full House. Yeah, yeah, he did, and he sang it. Okay, and he sang it. But I mean, that's my only context for Alan Thicke. I I don't know any. I mean, other than the fact that um, he's one of the few TV dads that didn't fall into um, disrepute out of some dodgy off, you know, offline thing. I think mm-hmm. he's probably just holding it down for TV dads everywhere. Bill Cosby, we're looking at you. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. 
Yeah, I don't have much to say about him either. I, I, I just, I don't, I haven't, I never. I just think 69, 69 is young to go. That's all. And also to die while your kids are watching. Yeah, no, that's terrible. Yeah, think about that as you go to bed tonight, Jason. Good night. Thanks. Well, I mean, I think he his 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 death seems like a little bit of a shock on on par with like a John Ritter, right? In the way that it was. Oh, that made me so sad. Yeah. What celebrity? What celebrity deaths do were you like? Oh my god! What celebrity deaths actually affected you? Yeah, I make fun of people about this, but yeah, there are a few celebrity deaths that where I feel like I'm connecting to some element of some aspect of who they were, um, Mm -hmm. which in some sense is probably just like a retroactive. I'm connecting to some aspect of myself. That's deep. I think Whitney Houston, because Whitney Houston, I'm not a big music buyer, but um, there are very few albums that I've bought in my life. And Whitney Houston is definitely one of those people. I actually had like a track album for her. So I think her death was just kind of like a little bit of a, I felt like I grew up with her, you know? So <laughs> I remember her on the scene early and I've sort of been through her journey Prince, but not because I was necessarily attached to him musically, but Mm -hmm. more just because I think he represented a kind of freedom that I like seeing on a person of color. And Michael Jackson, really. Uh, Michael Jackson, because I was out of the country. And so the the, so the trifecta of black 80s. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Jason, what about you? Probably the artist that comes to mind is Fife. Fife Dog. Yeah, I'm um, thinking that because you and, didn't and, talk about him. Yeah, and especially because of the timing, because it was right at like the 25th anniversary of Tribe Called Quest's first album. You know, the fact that you know, he died of diabetes at a very young age was like, wow, that was that sucked. Hmm. What about you, Chris? I would have to agree with uh, Trisha, the black tri- the the black tri- trilogy uh, Trinity right there. I remember I I was in a park. I was outside on the east side when Michael Jackson died because I'm sitting in a park watching some kids play and uh, everyone's phone went off at the same time. It was creepy. The park was full. It was a really nice warm day and everyone took out their phones at the same time. And I remember thinking, and then people were like, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson. I was like, what? Oh my God. Oh my God. And the news spread like wildfire. And then uh, I was in a restaurant when Houston died. And Prince, I don't remember where I was, but I just because because I didn't believe it right away, so I spent like a good hour not believing it. I mean, I think for black people in the eighties, like those three, the, like Michael Jackson was like a member of your family. Like you went to any, you went into a, a, a black person's home, like black people of a certain age, they had like Michael Jackson's Thriller like up on the wall next to pictures of their kids. You know what I mean? Like it was displayed, <laughs> like he was a member of the family. And to some degree, the same thing with Whitney Houston's first album. Like, it was such a huge deal. I think her first album, I think, debuted at number one, which was, like, unprecedented. And I, and I, I, her first album, I mean, I, I remember, like, every song was a hit. Every song was incredible. Mm-hmm. The thing, it, it's interesting, the thing with, so another artist that comes to mind that I didn't have any personal reaction to, but I feel like, Chris, you and I met around the time that Kurt Cobain committed suicide. And that was, like, a thing. Really? Oh, we we did. Didn't that we? Was, it was the early thing 90s. With the kids we were working with, like, I, you know, I wasn't a huge Nirvana fan. Oh, I we had to address it. Yeah. yeah, we had to address it, and like, there was, you know, kids were kind of glorifying it. It was like, oh, he wanted to die. He had said that in one of his songs, and now he killed himself. That was. I just remember that being like a big presence, although I didn't have like a personal connection to it. But you know, they're like really tragic. Like, I think one of the differences, like, he was at the peak of his career. 
mm-hmm. and committed suicide. Not to say any other deaths are less tragic, but like that, that just seems really rare, right? Like someone's at the peak of their career, you know, very young and to die that way. That was yeah. pretty crazy. I wasn't connected to him, but I remember thinking to myself that, I mean, I think what's interesting about celebrities is sort of, the question of like what they represent to you and what maybe what kind of a narrative you build around them. And I think for somebody like a Kurt Cobain, there was such a strong narrative around his kind of emotional life for people who enjoyed his music and his genius. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like when he killed himself that there's the tragic end to that strain of personality, to that kind of narrative. So then it begs the question, can people who really related to him are they going to be able to triumph over the evils or the challenges that he struggled with, right? And I think in some ways, for me, those tr- the trifecta of Black artists I named, I think they all represent sort of these kind of iconographic lives that's possible for Black people. Mm-hmm. And yet they're kind of cut short in a certain way. So for me, it's well, like... They I'm all died like, of the same cause, right? I just thought yeah. of that. On some level, right? Um, pain medication um, taken yeah. to to some extreme. Drugs, drugs, and more drugs. I <laughs> legal drugs though. That's what's really legal. I don't, exactly. I don't, I don't, legal. Of legal I don't drug sound. I remember even at the time when Kurt Cobain died. In my head, I was like, "Well, there was really no other way that story was going to end." Yeah. It's the same thing with Amy Winehouse. Like, not that I was like, "Oh, they're dead." Like, who cares? Whatever. Like, I I recognize that a human life is over, but. How was that story really going to end? Same thing with poor Amy Winehouse was doing it in the public space. And I want to say Kanye West is also <laughs> having his mental health crisis in public view. And it's sad. It's sad. How is that story going to end? Like we know we've seen this before, but there's nothing to do to stop it. I guess we'll just continue to be entertained until he's in the can grave. We, can I ask the question though? I mean, for what do you think is actually at work there? Like what Which, the Kanye West one, since you brought it up and he has met with our fearless president elect. What are, what are we supposed to do with a personality like Kanye West that's on my screen and on my like, I just ignore him because I don't have any context for taking him really seriously. Are we supposed to do something with him in a more useful way than others? I, I don't know. I really don't. You know what? Imagine that you had a cousin. Imagine you had like a teenage cousin who your aunt was struggling with because he was bipolar and he was having a really hard time and your family was like distraught about it. Mm-hmm. Think about how you would feel about that and how you would take care of your family member. The problem with celebrities when they have their mental health crisis, it all just feeds into the entertainment industry that they're already a part of. Like, you know, the Kardashians had a meeting talking about how much money they can make off the fact that he is decompensating in real life. Like that's, it's not going to help him but we just need to think about mental health differently. I, I don't care about Kanye West. Like I ne- he was never on my radar, but now I just feel bad for him because I feel like he's suffering from something. Mm-hmm. The president-elect, you know, that's, that's not going to go well. Could you imagine if someone had like bipolar or was delusional and you ushered them in to meet the future president? Like that's what people's delusions are made of, that they know the president. It, it just, it's very sad. I think it's really sad. Well, I mean, I think if this is part of the challenge of having a mediated experience is that all aspects of it become part of the machine, right? So there's no point in time where you can sort of turn it off. And so for me, I'm like, I can't engage you because I don't really know what aspect of you to take seriously. And the meeting of the president-elect further sort of challenges me because I'm like, what is the conversation that he's having with you that 
is of merit to me as a citizen because that's the only relationship I want to have with Donald Trump is as a citizen. I mean, does he represent um, some sort of artistic endeavor? Like, is this about? Is it, he said, "Well, I'm well, doing it because you're it's about- desperate to read something into no, that meeting." No, no, no. I'm not saying it's <laughs> even valuable. I'm not saying I'm desperate to read anything in it. But it's like, it's like I feel like it's presented as something that I'm supposed to consume, and I just would rather not consume it. But then that also feels really dismissive, you know. So. I'm always trying to figure out, well, I've just put it to the side and say, well, unless you're going to be um, appointed to run the NEA or some some such thing, um, I can't, I'm not going to take you seriously. But that feels like every single person that has been appointed to Trump's cabinet. Like, I want to take them seriously, but it's almost like they're a contradiction of the actual cabinet office. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find it sad that on the same day that Kanye visited with Donald Trump, it was also announced that his secretary of state would be this Tillerson person who is was like Putin's boyfriend at some summer camp at some point. But uh, and then also, um, what's his name? What's that dick from Texas? Oh, that he was going to be is going to be he was going to be the, the secretary of energy when he wanted to dismantle it. Like, but the Kanye thing got so many more headlines, which is why hello cancel social media. I'm telling you. <laughs> Back to canceling social media. Cancel social media. Oh, well. You know, we we know, I think, there's been a significant portion of the population, and the argument I'm about to lay out is the one that's been made by many conservatives and Republicans for quite a long time now, that, you know, if we just got rid of a lot of regulations and, you know, put job growth above all other things, including environment and whatnot, like we would have a really robust economy, wages would go up, et cetera. Th- this is the first time that that is going to be like truly tested. I mean, yeah. he has appointed to all these positions. I mean, super pro-business folks that are, you know, have been publicly anti-regulation. And No, this is um, not the first time this is going to be tested. Did you read um, Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein? I read excerpts. I heard interviews. We've interviews done about. this in South America and it was a nightmare. When like in South America in the I I don't have the details. So I don't. Anyway, my my point point being is that in shock doctrine, they talk, I think it was more about unrestrained capitalism, but removing all sorts of regulations, allowing companies to have greater and greater control over the markets. And it was an absolute disaster. Like it ended up with like, you know, mysterious murders, people being disappeared. Right, right. No, but what I'm saying is in, in the United States, We've heard this argument for a long time, and this has been, you know, a major conflict. I mean, this has been a big conflict between Democrats and Republicans where, I mean, you know, Republicans have said we've got, you know, we have all these natural resources. We have, you know, a populace that wants to work. And if we could just put aside climate change, put aside, you know, all that stuff, we would have like an economy that grows so much faster than, than we do. That's been the argument. I understand that there are other places where it's been done. But, I mean, in this case where, you know, the Secretary of State is not a diplomat, right, is a business person, this, the Secretary of Energy, you know, of Energy is someone, Rick Perry, it's going to be interesting, right? Like, in two years, if the economy is not growing by gangbusters, I feel like that's going to answer a question. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's the only question. I think a lot of us have concerns about the environment and other things. But just this theory, this hypothesis that's been put out, many times with conviction that, you know, if we got rid of all this stuff and put, put jobs first, 
and regulations and, and, and uh, climate, all that, forget about that for a while, we would have such a fast growing economy. Like we're really going to see whether that's the case. Well, you know, as a listener just said in the chat, like we've seen this before. This was the housing crisis, wasn't it? Let's remove all regulations and experience some sort of boom. And the exact opposite happened. We lost a lot of money. It ended a lot of jobs and, and it, it shifted the industry. So for us to not even, not even 10 years later, for us to be turning around being like, hey, let's remove regulations again. Doesn't, I mean, how did we end up here again? Like, what do you think is going to happen? So yes, if we can, quote unquote, put aside climate change and grow our economy, to what purpose if we're all underwater in 60 years? I don't disagree with you, Chris. I mean, I, I, I have the same fears you do. But in two years, no one's going to be able to say, well, we haven't really tried stacking the government with like super pro business types. Like Trump's doing it like no one's done it before. What about an arena where business is traditionally not the thing that you think about when you are exploring how to do it well? Say education. Charter schools, that's absolutely business that infiltrated that, that system. But I mean, I think... People don't tend to think of charter schools as a business model. Well, most charters are not are, are not for profit. Just to be yeah, they're not they right. You know what I mean? But so, not the but they operate as if they were. I mean, that's the point. Because it's it's more about philosophy than philosophy and practice. Like the idea that we think that the business minded person or a business minded philosophy will enhance every system it touches. I do not know how that myth continues. To, to resonate power. with people. I don't know how that continues to resonate. Well, and it's so funny because I think there was a, I, I believe, I think I, I talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago when Barack Obama was giving a talk, I guess, in Silicon Valley somewhere. And he was, he was making the case for why kind of business intervention isn't the end all and be all because what a business requires is so different than what you would expect from the government. Like of course. a business, if you are failing at your job, as a business, I can fire you. I can't fire a citizen. Like I can't. <laughs> I can't say to you as Trump citizen, will find a way. <laughs> well, didn't he say like if you burn the flag, he'll cancel your citizenship? He I mean that's, that that know, fits your citizenship, yeah. right? I'm not making that up, people. Look yeah, right. but that fits into that model. Like the idea is that in some ways. In terms of like a in in terms of this kind of model that people seem to really like, everything is instrumental. So you as a human being, any output that comes from you has to have some sort of end in mind. And if it doesn't have an end, then there's no value to it. So if you bring, I can see where there might that might naturally make sense in certain industries, energy. Although quite a bit of the work that traditionally gets done by government is research. It's really sort of like, I mean, research and development, really exploring questions that a business doesn't have time to explore because they have to be in the business of making money. You don't really necessarily expect the federal government or any kind of government to be situated in making money. You're exploring how to make something better, how to be more effective, how to serve the citizenry better. But with people coming in, having a business mindset, I just don't understand. I mean, does that mean that maybe the DMV will work better? <laughs> well, I, I feel like I have a little bit uh, a more nuanced, more nuanced thinking about this. First of all, there's a great book, Jim Collins, Good to Great, about businesses. Yes, you that, love that it's, book. It's, oh, it's so good. He, like many years after he put out the book, and I really think it's a great book, he put out a pamphlet focused on the social sector. And it begins, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember the exact quote, but it begins with something to the effect of 
a lot of people say that nonprofit organizations and churches and government were, would work better business, but I disagree because most businesses aren't run very well. <laughs> and I, I love that quote. Now, I agree with you that there is this mindset, and I think it's a lot of it's a lot of the reason why a lot of people voted for Donald Trump. That well, if we just ran government like a business, everything would be fine. And I agree with what you're saying. And Obama said that government is is structured very differently, has different demands, different needs, different purpose. The one thing I will say that, and this doesn't have to be limited to business, but the the, the thing is, what does happen in business is that if you run inefficiently, you run out of money and you go out of business. So there mm-hmm. is a built-in ac- uh, accountability to outcomes. And I do think, and this is, you know, it's a passion of mine working in education. I do think what happens in a lot, not all, but a lot of situations in government is that because there's not that built-in accountability, there are a lot of government agencies or departments that you know, the outcomes are not met and, and we continue to fund them and they continue to operate in the same way. I mean, look, I know people who work in local and state government who tell me no one in my department works. Like people are on social media, like it's a jobs program. And I'm not against jobs programs, but the taxpayers are paying money for a certain outcome in, in many cases. And, and you do have this problem if there's not any accountability and, and some accountability system is not injected into the system, you do run the risk of inefficiency without the built-in account- accountability that a business has. I think it's bullshit, though. I really do. Because Damn. Oh, I wait. Mean, Janina, am I still the mean one? I know. Listen to, <laughs> listen to Trisha. Get him, get, get him Trisha. <laughs> no. Well, I think it's bullshit because the reality is the people who, most of the people who voted, quote-unquote, voted for Trump because of economic anxiety... They are expecting Trump to return jobs that make no sense. If you really, if we really bought into the idea of business leading to better outcomes because of sort of increased efficiency, and that in some ways we really let the market decide, that's bullshit. Because but that, wait, that's we, not what I said. I did not we, say that at all. But that's part of the that's part of the outcomes model. The outcomes model is the expectation that businesses don't have any kind of corporate welfare built into it. That that no, certain I, industries aren't propped up and allowed to to continue to to exist because supposedly they're delivering an outcome. I well, need to well that that's but you're I just want to be clear you're taking it another direction. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but what I'm saying is in industries that are not propped up, businesses that don't achieve their outcomes and or run inefficiently fail. They don't now, though. The, they don't though. The assumption, you, the assumption is that. Most, the, the assumption, no businesses no, go out of business. No, no, businesses go out of business. However, you can be propped. The entire agriculture business is propped up. Well, by no, I agree. Money. I'm not saying you can't be propped up. About. But I, what I, I almost think about. you're, you're. Yeah, I'm not talking about that at all. No, I, what I'm saying though, Jason, is that 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 assumption that you're raising, which is a kind of that's a true business assumption that when a business, if a business is failing to thrive, it will go out of business. On some level, that's true, but most businesses and a lot of businesses are propped fail. up. Well, no. they fail. No, I think. Wait, a lot of Trisha, I, Trisha, you're making up. a point, but you didn't. You didn't let Jason finish his point, which is why Jason, Jason finished ready. what you were saying. Jason, I know no, we're, he already made his point. I, I'm okay. No, I'm already okay. made his I'm point. Okay he already made saying, his Trisha, point. But it is not most. It is no. I'm powerful. Most businesses fail. 
I most mean, most businesses I mean, fail. The, the business that you're fail. talking about, Trisha, that's, I mean, that's part of the problem. But I think what it is, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, what you're saying that if we applied this business idea to other models and, and the consequences were the same as it is for most businesses, then, right. then things might be different. But there, there are no consequences, which, which is what Trisha's saying, is that so you have like the agricultural complex. Right. It's run like a business, but it can't fail. So it's not it's it's not succeeding anywhere, or yeah. banking can't fail because exactly actually, you know right. what I mean. So it's like this idea: well, big banks can't. Big, fail. <laughs> you have to be yeah. clear. Your neighborhood there bank can banks fail. Banks fail. <laughs> I think it's probably failing time. this moment. <laughs> but power. that's what I mean, though. But what I'm saying is that there is. I totally buy into the idea that left to their own devices, certain industries and certain businesses. You're right; they do kind of have a natural cycle of this is no longer working. Oop, out of business. However, the I, that's what usual that's what people usually use to sell you on the notion of business. Like, oh, if it's not working, it's just going to go out of business, and the market has decided. But what we have all figured out is that very rarely does the market get to truly decide. Sometimes businesses are propped up with tax breaks. They're propped up in this way. They're and they're they 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 have just as much kind of dead weight in their running as other spaces. So I just get tired of the assumption of government being the only place where there's dead weight. I think, and, and I think people I sell that you. vision often enough that I really do think that that's, that's one of the downsides of saying a government is going to take over something. People go, uh-oh, because I think really that is the idea. The idea is that the government is essentially a, a lead weight. <laughs> and that all businesses in some ways are more efficient and more effective at like getting rid of people who are sort of dead weight. I don't know how many times you've gone to a job and you're sitting there and about, I'd say 70% of the time, maybe you're working efficiently. Maybe I'll, I'm stretching maybe 40, you know, <laughs> but the business has room for that and it gives you room for that. But if you suddenly say the same thing in a government space, people start judging it. They're like, well, see, that's why those jobs need to go. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't understand how that is that sort of cutthroat attitude is allowed to kind of remain unchallenged because I think that's why people do vote for somebody who's a business person. They're like, let's bring business into education, let's bring business here, let's bring business everywhere, let's bring business no, no, into I agree. charity. I think the idea of it as a panacea. I, I totally agree with you. But I get your, I get your drift that there's a there's a thing where it ends and you're like, whoop, you, nobody wanted those kind of tacos. There goes your stand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there goes your taco stand. Right. Nobody yeah. wants it. You know what I mean? But I, I think it's a little bit of an illusion that <laughs> although apparently that's what the American consumer wanted. The American consumer wanted all banks to be to have been allowed to fail. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes and no, right? I mean, same I thing mean, with the automakers, like yes and no. Like they did, but they didn't. But isn't that where isn't that some of the source of this populist rage? What that we didn't let banks fail? That we yeah, that we didn't let industries fail. That we didn't let people really felt like Wall Street got to sort of walk away. Well, they did. I'm not well, an people, economist. People wanted Wall Street to fail? No, I mean they thought that listen, they thought that Wall Street was like a willful child that went out and partied hard and then we came in and rescued them and then they got to sort of leave without feeling the real pinch, except mm -hmm. in many ways, what happened was many of the banks that received loans from the government paid back the loans with interest. Mm -hmm. 
But somehow that wasn't punitive enough. Well, and, and I think, you know, you hear these stories of this bank lost all this money, did this illegal stuff, and the CEO's salary went up and, you know, is making a crazy amount of money. Like that's a narrative that I think, you know, people feel sharply. I mean, some people say we should have let the banks that were failing just fail and not give them government loans or any of that. Other people say if you had done that, it actually would have, that would have Cratered harmed everything. the common person even yeah. more. I don't know enough to have an opinion about that, mm-hmm. but I, I can understand, even though it's like you could take all the CEO's bonuses and you wouldn't have enough to like raise the standard of living for all the people in the country. But I can understand people's frustration where you hear all this horrible thing about, about this bank, the CEO's making more money than ever. And you're like out of a job. Like, I mean, I, I get why that's frustrating. So we are going to bring on another listener. Caller, are you there? <laughs> I am here. And so I'm not rude when I come to some place. So I usually <laughs> ring the doorbell. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Hi, do, you, do you want to identify yourself? <laughs> yes, I am real. Um, I let you borrow Andrine every now and again to host this. <laughs> Podcast. Oh, <laughs> Everyone from the other podcast is like coming over here. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I enjoy Andre in many different spaces. I am team everyone, but since Chris is getting You're lying. lying, You're lying. I am Chris tonight. You're team Chris? Team, I'm team Chris tonight. Yes. Oh my god, no one's ever team Chris. Oh Lord. You know, I explain I'm, why I am explain why. I am team rolling my eyes at Jason all the time. Like, <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> we have some let's get into this conflict. I know. And you know, Andre What's the source of your rage? What's the source well, of your well, rage right now? Well, I mean, well, I guess tonight, first of all, let me just say before I start quote unquote criticizing and hating, this is a very, really good podcast. I do love it, you know. Oh, well, thank um, you. It it comes a very close second to my podcast, but you know what? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, you my can't, podcast you can't is compliment us and then plug your own podcast. <laughs> so, since my podcast deals with sports scene, and since this is a dirty word, I'm just telling you. Your podcast is the best. Okay? Sportsing. Thank you. Sportsing. But I mean, it's a really good podcast, and as three friends, and they're discussing, and it's there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of different perspectives and mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, there are arenas or uh, issues that are brought up that mm-hmm. I didn't even think about and also topics that I'm just like, oh my God, I didn't even think of that topic. So I really enjoyed it. Tonight's conversation, I think is rather interesting. No, we are not going to rehash Alan Thick. I'm sorry, Reston. Yeah, tell us so- how you feel about <laughs> I mean- Alan Thick's sudden <laughs> passing. Yeah, why do you care? What what are your thoughts and feelings? Uh, yeah. So in regards to Jason, um, Jason, I'm I the smarter people... one. Whenever it's smarter, that's oh, me. That's Jason. This is the most aggressive podcast. You cannot ever call your children motherfuckers. You just can't. The optic is not good. The oh optic should never that's... be good. Oh my god, you come on the podcast and that's what you want to tell us. About. I love it. I, love it. Anyway, I just gotta say that. I mean, I would this is why because sometimes Jason says something. And I'm with Chris. I'm, I'm I'm with Chris all the time. It's just like Jason, you can't say that. That's crazy. So maybe that's why I'm always Team Chris. Can I can I blow up your spot real quickly? Because oh, my uh, spot? your yeah. spot. Because I I know that you listened to the last episode, 
and our conversation about Issa Rae and the N-word, I know you have opinions about oh, it. Oh, yes. Did you, did you want to air them here? Well, I mean, I'm with Andrine. I don't use the N-word. I mean – And, and I by the way, for, for our know. listeners, Andrine is Trisha. Sorry, we call yes. her Trisha. Oh, sorry. I, um, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. We call her Trisha because of various uh, – you know, she's on the run in several states. But anyway, go on. <laughs> Trisha, some with Trisha. I mean, like I don't use it in my in whether social or even public arena, but I mean, I understand the context within the show, like mm-hmm. how it's being used there. It's you know, it doesn't. I don't think when it's being used in that context, there is any sort of like racial overtone. And I guess you mentioned this, Chris. So you know, like there is no action behind it. Okay, no one's gonna tell Issa Rae and telling her friend, you know, like. You know, nigga, please, and then she's just like, you know, clean that floor, bitch. You know, like, you know, like, there is that, that, it doesn't have to involve action for it to feel negative. No, but I mean, like, there is just nothing. There is no, no weight of negative exactly, thought. Okay. of negative thought behind it. It's just like, and it's and it's kind of like a sort of, a, I don't want to say it's a new thing, but it's sort of like a, it's relatively new, in in in, in relation to when the word was being used historically, that this phenomenal threat being used amounts in this way in which is social construct waves in the African-American community, it's a sort of relatively new manner of which we are experiencing, I guess I would say. But I think on a larger point, I mean, like it doesn't affect them the same way it does when a white person tells that truth thing because I keep and I know the conversation well, this is what I was trying to explain to Jason, but he didn't want to listen to me. But and also I think, you know, the question that pops up just like white people then say, you know, like, why can't I use it? And I keep asking, can you tell me a sentence when you think it will be okay where or even necessary for you to tell a black person use the N word towards a black person? No, can I just what? tell you I totally agree. Whenever I hear that argument from white people, like, well, why can't we say it? I always want to be like, let's dig into why you're so, <laughs> such a strong <laughs> desire to say, right. why is that so important to you? There's got to be something very interesting in there. The optics would never just, would never look right. So just let it go. I mean, like, not everything is for you. You know, you just can't get everything in this world. Yeah. Like Beyonce's hey. Lemonade, not for everybody. <laughs> Look, I know I could never rock a pair of acid wash jeans, and I'm not even mad at that. Just let it go. I'm not, no. Just something isn't, for, everything isn't for everyone, and just let it go. But um, I think in tonight's um, podcast um, discussion, um, Jason, I think you mentioned something about, you know, that I guess you're trying to make an argument, or, I don't know, a pitch for, you know, Trump's approach and whatever, but it's bullshit. Businessmen are always greedy. Humans are always greedy. Without constraint, they will eat and destroy everything. I mean, how long have we been talking about the environment and we seem, we don't even want to act like it's actually real to, you know, to fix the environment. Even, we, th- even though we see it falling apart around us slowly, we still exactly. refuse to because acknowledge. There's so much money to be made. You even no, discussed I, this um, with, the, with the pipeline. Um, and it's just like, there is money there, you know, so no one is going to really want to do anything. But um, because it's too much money to be made at the top. So, yeah, I, them running the country? No. This, it's not going to end well. There's no, no way I, this situation is going to end wanna, well. I agree with everything you're saying. And I, I, the only point I was trying to make is I think there's one thing from business that government can learn. But I think the idea of CEOs running the whole government, I totally agree with you. I mean, 
if I think about summing up the United States, it's it seems like it's been an experiment of if we let people pursue self-interest unfettered, does that make for a better country? I think the answer is no, <laughs> but but I feel like that's what we see. That's the logic behind the the current. But is that but but is that what American experiment is? I think at the founding of it, it was. I mean, it was. It was, it was, it was I was about life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. No, I'm sorry. America has always been about let's try to exploit someone else. We don't want to be the ones exploited. The founding fathers just like um, it's never been about freedom. It's never been about equality. It's about let's get as much as we can get and exploit someone else for this situation. That, no, I mean again, that's the same thing. I agree. That's the pers- that's the pursuit of self interest unfettered, regardless of who for few. But it isn't self interest. It's the self interest of a select group of people, not for everyone. We all can't go out and pursue our own self interest per se because there are restrictions on many of us of which space we can inhibit, where we can go, where the accolades, the paths to the success. Not all of us have access to that. And that's how it's been American society. Great. Um, oh, uh, something else you mentioned this evening. Let's see if I remember right. Yeah. Was oh, it yeah. About, was it about Alan Thick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? He's dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys are monsters. And God rest his, and, and rest his soul. And, you know, my condolences to his family. But this is not the place, the time for him. Um, and as for Kanye, I oh, yes, yes, I remember right now. Kanye West, I've never been a hip hop fan, but you know, like Chris, you mentioned the analogy of like your, your family member, but you're not gonna be having any serious discussion with your family member who is bipolar. You're not gonna be having any substantive discussion, you're not gonna be like, What are we gonna do with grandma, mm-hmm. bipolar cousin? You're not gonna have that conversation. That whole scheme that was happening here. And the fact that none of his handlers decided, um, Kanye, you can't go in this space. You need to be in a hospital arrested. I, well, I think that's what my metaphor was about. Food. My metaphor right. was about like if that was your bipolar cousin, you would be the handler. And you would interact, you would help them interface with like school or job or whatever they need. Like, so that was where my metaphor was coming from. Meanwhile, Kanye West, because of the industry that he's in, his, his, the people around him, his quote unquote family in this metaphor, they make money off of him. Right. But you know what? And they can't be trusted to protect him. But you know what? It's not even, it's not even that. I mean, the thing that's also interesting and challenging is that we have a president elect that thought that that was a good move. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it is a good move. But I mean, yes, obviously a good move given the way that President Trump, President-elect Trump conducts himself. But can you imagine Obama thinking that it would be a good idea to meet with Kanye? If Obama that even came up, guy. yeah, if that even came up as an option, he would have said, you know what? That man has just been through some really challenging moments. I'm going to let him go and have that. I almost feel like in some ways, the problem I'm having is that Trump does not conduct himself with a gravitas off that position. And he but didn't do it during the campaign. And I get that. So where's your surprise? I'm not what, surprised. What, I'm not surprised by it. But I'm just consistently shocked that people wanted to have this man run the country. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't that's know. the I mean, part of it that like, the, like the we ch- some not us people chose this man who thought it was a good idea to have this meeting, even as he's he canceled press conferences 
because he didn't want to have any of uh, any of the questions about the Russian hacks appear. He didn't want to be challenged in that way. So he essentially went on a sort of media dance. And people thought that this would be a good person to run the country. I had a. That's what always is constantly shocking me. I'm, I'm sorry. But you know, I mean, get over it, Trisha, because they did. And I, <laughs> like, well, you know, I, don't know I mean, like well over a month ago. I, I think we had the discussion. Um, I'm constantly being appalled by it every time. But, you know, but 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 think about it this way: this is the same country that elected a movie star in Ronald Reagan as the president in the past. We've re- elected a, a governor who is not even a born American and can barely speak English properly. And by no means am I making this an insult regarding Arnold Schwarzenegger and his intelligence and anything. What I'm just simply saying, um, this is the same country that elected a wrestler as a governor of Minnesota. So this is well within American, you know, nuance or sensibility to do something like this. But I think what is strikingly um, bizarre and I think it's something you touched on and I think which needs to be the focus constantly with how you need to handle Trump and deal with him is that forget this forget what he's doing publicly and concentrate on the thing he's doing quietly exactly because then Kanye West is not nothing we he is crazy he's not well nothing good could come of that meeting whether he actually chooses him for actual cabinet position we know nothing good is oh going to come out of that meeting. But I think in general, um, look at the Secretary of State now. He put some some Putin boyfriend, as you call him, Chris, mm-hmm. and tied with the oil companies. So we are back on the oil train against this. It, that's what we need to be focused on. But anyway, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Well, I we're going to say goodbye to you. But before you go, do you have a media yes. recommendation? Something that you've seen, heard, or read that you think other people should see, hear, or read? Um, hmm. It's not my dentist. <laughs> oh, shit. He really, he really <laughs> listens. Like, he's yeah, not- I, <laughs> our fan. I am honored, even though you rejected like, I, the fact that you would listen that closely. And. <laughs> I am a little bit conflicted that you're shading uh, Tom and Jerry, but you let uh, Mickey Mouse run amok. But um, <laughs> I, you really wow, change you know, you know, everything I say. Listen, he has a chart of every recommendation. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, and he's gonna no, comment on really, each one no. right now. The reason why I remember them is because you make you make them so lively, Chris. <laughs> That's why I'm Team Chris. But uh, I know Andre, I know Trisha's gonna hate me for this, but um, okay, fine. I, I've been. I, she blames that. And maybe there is a point to that. But I've just been recently uh, reading the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, yeah. and you can give a huff as you did for Cornel West. But uh, <laughs> but I think what is interesting about um, this book, as we we discuss Black Lives, it's it's been a constant theme of this show: Black Lives Matter. And also um, the issue of criminal justice. And we've asked about getting rid of, I think the question came up recently of getting rid of some major restructuring. But um, she brings forward a very wonderful argument, I think, and not just um, how she sees the prison, the new prison system as being new, new slavery, but also how the system, how the legal system, how the Supreme Court justices' um, decisions, Etc. has actually caused this to be in fact. 
and how the drug war in America basically is being conducted. And I think that's a really good, it sort of gives a, a broad overview, whether or not you agree with her premise towards the end of this is new slavery, but the information, the factual, the factual information is there and it's worth consuming, I think so. You know, the reason why why Reels is um, saying this is because I, at one point in time, you know, I said that there were quite a few um, scholars who really generated a kind of confusion around. They did. The election the about that? yeah about whether whether Clinton was like a lesser evil than Trump or not and you know people really equivocated so much that I think there was a lot of confusion by voters about whether they should actually line up and vote for Hillary and I I think I think Michelle I think I counted Michelle Alexander as part of that um, camp. You know what I think the real situation was for those people, and I count um that guy who writes for the Daily News now, Sean. Somebody I forget his name. Yeah, now. Sean King. Yeah, he did Sean the same King. thing. But I think that in their mind that they believed, I think a lot of people believe that there was no way Hillary was going to lose. Lose. So they felt comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. They felt comfortable in saying whatever shit they wanted to say so that when she did win and shit happened, they'll be like, I told you so. Right. Yeah. I told you so, folks. And now, bitches, you got to eat dirt like the rest of us. So, Or I think, wow. you know, I mean, I think there's, their, their interest was in complicating the universe. But I think what they True. didn't realize, you know what I mean? Like, because everything is complicated, but during an election cycle, when you complicate the universe, I think it makes it that much harder. And by Trump going very simple and keeping it very exactly. basic. The message was would, very simple. Yeah, Exactly. And I think Hillary's message was made way too complicated. She's a complex candidate, you know, and it's it just... You just didn't have an idea of what you were voting for. And I think a lot of people spent a lot of time wondering what they should be voting against. And I think that's just always, it's always a bad, a bad thing to have people have to do two steps. Mm. Best to have them just vote for one thing. (laughs) And I think making America great again was an easier. It's so simple. It's so simple. You know what I mean? It's like make America great. That I mean, who can it. be against that, right? I mean, it's just so simple. Yeah. It's so simple. Meanwhile, we, uh, I mean, folks on the left spent all this time saying, well, Hillary, and then everyone spent time talking about what made her complicated and nuanced, and some people just checked out. Yeah, and but, you know, at the end of the day, I still think, you know, people are just stupid. They... <laughs> <laughs> that's why it needed to be straightforward though the message needed to no be i mean yeah that's true but i mean like i don't understand it it wasn't i mean like it wasn't that hard people it really wasn't <laughs> i mean it's just almost like you saw like you know there was a rope hanging near the side of the cliff and you decided you know what I'm not going to climb down with the rope. You know, I might burn my hands. I'm going to jump over. And you that know is a great analogy. That is you know what? Because, analogy. because, you know, we got to get to the bottom of this really quickly. You know I mean? There is, oh, that's you know, a really great down analogy. There. Let's jump over. It. You know what? Hey, Superman can do it. I can oh, my do God. It. That's great. I love that. No, no. And you know what? People are just completely stupid. And on, and on that note, reels. That's how you're going out. People are, people are stupid. Stupid. Mic drop. Thank you very much. Yeah, I enjoy it. Team Chris all the way. Yes. Wow. Chris wow. Revolution. <laughs> Jesus. Bye. Good night, reels. Bye. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Oh boy! So I want to talk about one of your, I want to talk about one of your topics, Chris. All right. So uh, I had 
just in case we had no one interested in coming on, I had prepared some topics to talk about. So the one that's sticking with me is that Amazon has announced plans to move forward with this sort of grab-and-go situation at a brick-and-mortar store. They have it for their employees in Seattle, but they're going to open one to the public. The idea is that you walk in, you take what you want, and you run the fuck out the door. Scanners are going to check your phone and just bill you on the back end. Now, I love this idea it's they can <laughs> the convenience of it i don't know what to do with myself i just want to like spin around in a circle like annie uh in the musical like i know i'm gonna like it here <laughs> however <laughs> however that's awesome how is this not the bleak future that's been promised to us by over 400 million dystopian future novels written in the last century. I mean, we have kiosks at McDonald's, we have self-checkout at the supermarket, and now we have an experience so close to shoplifting, right, <laughs> that it's, it's going to throw the masses. There's like a bigger question here about sure. technology. Although I, although I am totally sweating about the convenience of this much like social media like i was like cancel it if we do not put the the reins on technology we will be run out of everyone will be run out of jobs the idea that manufacturing jobs have quote unquote left the country and people are going to quote unquote bring them back like that is such a fiction but alongside that fiction we are automating tasks left and right and everyone is applauding it and excited about it but i mean the simple question i want to ask you too is how do we stop technology from marching towards building a Terminator, sending it back in time to kill Sarah Connor? What do you think? Go ahead. Well, can I – I'm going to put that question aside for a second. Well, that's the only thing I'm interested in. So. No, but I go back to – and I feel like, Chris, on other topics, you and I see eye to eye when, like, what the problem is, like, is not what is commonly talked about the problem. So to me, the problem is not technology – creating automation, which makes certain types of labor by people unnecessary. That's a solution. The problem is, is wealth concentration. That's the problem. If we were all benefiting equally from this automation, then we would all be forward. And in this, like on this kind of issue, I'm kind of a Marxist. Like, like it kind of reminds me of like, you know, Bill Maher, when, when people talk about coal and bring back coal, he's like, why are we worried about saving coal jobs? They're shit jobs. Like people die oh, from that. I saw shit. that actually. He said it many times. And mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like like I mean, I haven't worked in an Amazon warehouse, but from everything I've read and heard, these are not the jobs we should be dying to keep. Like the, so I I think when we when we get frustrated by job loss, which of course we should be, it's not that we should be trying to stop technology from replacing, you know, shit jobs. Like, we should want that. We should be looking at how do we make sure wealth gets distributed in such a way that, we, that there's equitable benefit from technological advancement. One of the things I find interesting is that we don't use this as an opportunity to talk about the world of work. Wealth distribution, the only, way, the only means that we have come up with to, to, to handle that has been through work right? This is, that's our solution. You work nine to five and you get paid. Mm -hmm. We are so used to an orientation in life and about life that involves work. So much our people's self-definition is involving the work they do that I think the virtual reality, not virtual reality, that I think this world of like 
automation is just scary on like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. When really it could be an opportunity for us to ask the kinds of questions of like, okay, what were the jobs that a robot really should do? Because it's repetitive, it's monotonous, it's potentially yep. dangerous. It's dangerous, yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly, right? And so now can we then use this as an opportunity to talk about meaningful work? Could we use this as an opportunity to talk about a different type of work week, a different type of life? Yes. yes right. Yes. You know, but I just I don't feel like this. I don't feel like we've been given permission to go down that road because simply because think about the model that was being offered to people who were losing their jobs. There, there was this model of retraining. But but folks were like, I don't want to be retrained. I want to do the thing that I've always known how to do. They didn't want to exist in this sort of Which, new no man's land where I ha- I have to acquire or develop skills. But I mean, but on some level it does though, right? Because just think about, I mean, like on an individual, like yeah, sort of in an individual psychological sense, someone who's it resistant to change, right? Of course, that makes quote unquote sense. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense in a in a in the societal sense like here we are like trying to save coal jobs when cleaner energy could create more jobs and be better for the environment and give a higher energy output but we still are catering to people who literally who literally want to bang rocks together to get energy (laughs) and also we but part of that too is then we also have industries that are or people who make all of their money from those industries who are resisting that change right sure. they also have a stake in resisting and they have they have more money to bring on the table to sort sure. of invite this kind of like love affair with coal to continue well like we said earlier those businesses should be allowed to fail but like we said we're not letting that happen no i understand that tension though i really understand this tension but i want us to ask that i want to ask about a work week that's not 40 hours. I feel like some jobs are monotonous. Like, I mean, I love that they happen and I love that people get to work. But part of, I think, one of the reasons why people are so fearful of change is because we've never given them a model where work was not at the center. Like, what would leisure culture be like? What would... Oh, um, what Fantasy. Would we, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, we can ask that question with some seriousness, right? But maybe we need to have some base in society to allow people to feel um, less afraid. So if we did have healthcare that wasn't linked to work, maybe people could be would be less fearful, right? If we did have certain kind of base support, uh-oh, talking socialism, I guess. But if there were some base supports, maybe this risk of kind of having to shift our relationship with work wouldn't be so fear so fear inducing. Thing we have is completely built on the work model. Our health insurance was built on the work model. Life savings is built on it. I mean, our home. I mean, it's so it's so essential. This 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 contract we have between work and payment and roofs out roof over our heads. You know what I mean? Some countries are exploring the idea of kind of like a base income, not even a base income, maybe like a base stipend, so that people's needs can minimally be met. Yes. I can't imagine a world where we can begin to have that conversation, but it feels like it would be necessary if you do introduce more automation where certain jobs just simply don't exist anymore. We'd have to turn that whole thing upside down, right? Or no? Oh, I think the answer is yes. And I I mean, the challenge with this is given the fact that wealth is concentrated tremendously in a very small group of people, 
notwithstanding everything I said before, to put it into practice, it involves significant tax policy change. Yeah. And not the kind that is popular. <laughs> um, so I, that's the challenge. I mean, I mean, if you look at certain communist countries, like if you look at Cuba under Castro, arguably it was an effort to have a society like we're describing. But because, you know, there was always the, the sense that, well, but if if we're open to foreign investment and if like, you know, we're an open market to other countries – you know, then that's it's all going to fall apart because people are going to get greedy, and so we've so then you end up with a totalitarian regime and people can't move. We haven't figured out how to put it into practice, and, and I don't have the answer either. But I think the questions you're asking, Trisha, are the right ones. And as I was saying before, I think I think they're more productive ones than how do we save minimum wage jobs by you know the word you used, Chris, reining in technology. I mean, not not to say technology should go unfettered, but Again, like what you're saying about this Amazon store, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by it. It's like, it's one of those things, it's like an innovation that I never would have thought of, and yet it makes so much sense with the technology we have. And you'd shop like, there. I would definitely shop there. And the, the answer can't be, well, we, we don't want to do that because we want to save a bunch of minimum wage jobs with people running around a warehouse. Like, that's just, it's definitely not the right answer. But admittedly, how we get to an economy and a society where, like you're saying, Trisha, like work is not the central ego identification and how you get everything like it that's it's a it's a tough climb <laughs> like i don't i don't know i like I, don't the, know I like the idea of mandatory minimum income i we'd have to we have to change so much about the way we think about everything but i think that's a great idea if everyone could you imagine if just every adult over a certain age simply received I, I, whatever the figure was even if it was something like $17,000 a year or $14,000 a year just enough to keep you from dying on the street. Yes. And then you can work on top of that. Fine, get a part-time job. But then you could then you could afford to take that that server, that waiter job that pays you $4.50 an hour plus tips at some greasy spoon diner. Then you could afford to do it and have a place to live and not and be able to feed your family. I love the idea. Of course, that would require, yes, if you make more than $100,000 a year, you're in a like 56% tax bracket. But I, I mean, I think it would be worth it. We'd have to change the way we thought about capitalism altogether. Right. We would. I mean, right now, those things are considered social welfare, right? But mm. in a weird, but I think you could sell them as actually a driver of innovation because what you do is you take the onus of kind of like, where am I going to get my next meal? out of consideration and maybe people actually could be freed up to do the thing that, you know, folks seem to want, which is to spend a lot of their money, leisure time doing what, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I think that you could actually craft a fairly interesting universe and a fairly interesting world if that was allowed to happen. But right now we really believe people should live or die based on really, really silly indicators like race, (laughs) gender, income Income. right well and and the other piece of all this which you know i feel like we always get to this point and then we all roll our eyes because no one knows what to do about it even though it's my day job is like to have an equitable (laughs) society like this like you need a, a an equitable education system which we just don't have but that's part of the problem right now is there's a small portion of the population relatively small that receives the education needed to benefit from technological advancement and then there's a lot of the population that does not. And so they're on the other end of the technological advancement. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's a failure of, of education system. If we're supposed to have a free and universal education system where everyone has the opportunity to benefit from advancement. We just do not have that. Well, I was just doing like a quick read up and apparently going as far back as like, nine, I mean, as 1795, Thomas Paine actually like was uh, talking about the idea of a citizen's dividend which all U.S. citizens should get as compensation. Really? I didn't which is, you know, <laughs> but I remember, remember this is when, um, this was when sort of the country was sort of somewhat uniform, right? In look and feel. So the idea of like a mandatory minimum, a mandatory sort of minimum, you know, income probably makes sense when you assume the world or the U.S. is all made up of similar kinds of people. But as soon as you have to deal with kind of diversity, I'm sure people are like, well, who deserves it? You don't deserve it. You know, those kinds of conversations happen. I mean, there's some room for that. That's very interesting. I'm going to read up on that. I know. I, I love Trisha's media recommendation is a pamphlet from 1795. By <laughs> I think that's awesome. I think that's so awesome. I also like the fact that in the midst of the conversation, she was able to perform a smooth Google and read it fast <laughs> enough to summarize it for everybody. Well, Done. Well, I mean, and I also will say I'm 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 actually really intrigued now because apparently a couple of economists have tried this idea or have thought about this idea, and I guess they call it a negative income tax. Oh, that's interesting. So there is I'm some ready. there is some history. You guys want to? Uh, that you guys want to open up the government? Let's go. <laughs> no, no, you know what though? I, Everyone I, listening, I, let's go. This issue, the guaranteed income proposal. There actually are people on the right that are for yes i've heard um, that because yes. you know it, it would allow people to participate in the economy it's the whole kind of like henry ford like i pay my people well so they can buy my cars you know it's yes. like mm-hmm. see it, that's it, what i was using so as my example I, I actually think that this is an idea that there could be some real cross-sector organizing around it, it's something that can make sense to both liberals and conservatives and we have so few of those ideas lately guys we are uh... We're going to go into our media recommendations. Again, that's something that you saw, heard, or read that you think other people should see, hear, or read. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Go. Uh, In my day job, I serve on the Diversity Inclusion Committee of the national organization I work for. And um, on that committee, we decided that our organization really could use common language when it comes to talking about sensitive issues, important issues like race equity, white supremacy, that kind of thing. And so I volunteered, you know, different people are taking on different tasks. I volunteered to kind of put together a brief speaker glossary. And, and, you know, it's not that all these terms have one right definition, but just so that we have a common language. And so there's a particular website, racialequitytools.org, that I ended up going on. And um, I just found it incredibly helpful to read pretty thorough definitions of different words that some of them get tossed around a lot. Some of them don't get tossed around enough. Um, And I didn't agree or agree is not the right word. I didn't find every definition in here particularly helpful with many of the words ended up going and looking them up in other places and finding other definitions. But as a, as a springboard to think about these terms and how they can be helpful in facilitating conversations among diverse and I, I mean diverse, including like white people who aren't always comfortable talking about some of this stuff. Um, I just found it like a really helpful exercise. I'm hoping I'm hoping it's helpful to my organization. And in the spirit of Chris, who has recently taken to addressing the white sector of our audience, and 
giving them advice, I will say to my fellow white Americans, like, I think this is actually a useful tool, but not just for white people. It's not just for white people anymore. No. That's right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I have a really quick recommendation. Yesterday, I went to go see The Waitress on Broadway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's not my media recommendation. Oh. I think you, I think you should see it. I mean, it's it's a fun show, but I'm not recommending it. What I am going to recommend is that after seeing it, I got into a conversation just about working class people, and I had recommended to a friend a, the book Nickel and Dimed by Barbara Enronreich. Uh, yeah. And uh, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's actually free online. I found a free PDF online, and I don't think I've read it in like oh god, I think I had to read it in grad school. So I haven't read it in a long time, but it's it's the author, Barbara Enrenreich. She travels to a couple of different parts of the country and tries to get a minimum wage pay, paying job, get an apartment, and sort of live her life and the difficulties th- therein and sort of the re- the kind of ridiculousness and cruelty of us asking people to make $8 an hour to maintain a home, to be able to feed themselves and their family and not run afoul of anything bad happening to them. It's, um, I mean, if you still need your eyes opened about these sorts of things, then please read the book. But it's at once heartbreaking, but absolutely arresting. Uh, if you're not sure if the book's free, I'll, I'll post the link on the Outrageous page and just read the first three pages. And if you don't like it, put it down. But I think you're going to be able to carry it through. It's it's a pretty compelling story. Nice. Oh, nice. So yeah. weirdly enough, um, I read a book several years ago and I, I, I go back to it every now and then. And now it seems like it's, it's actually appropriate. <laughs> I'm going to share the link later. And it's Freakonomics Radio oh, yeah. did an episode called Is the World Ready for Guaranteed Basic Income? So that was done in April thir- on April 13th, 2016. So there's actually a podcast that's exploring the very question that we just raised, which is the idea of like a basic income for, the, for everyone. I think that's kind of cool. And then um, relatedly, years ago, I, I went through my mom's books and stole something that she had read for school. And, and I've always loved it. So I'm going to recommend this book called um, Leisure, The Basis of Culture by Joseph Piper. I don't know. I've, I've just always, I've always loved the book. It's, it's really just a kind of exploration of like what it means for us to have free time and what, what's possible when you have free time. And his main contention is that because we are so focused on labor, we, um, we've lost sight of the benefits of leisure. His key exploration is that he didn't, th- he, he thinks that we wouldn't have had religion if we, and the good parts of it, not the dodgy parts, but the good parts of religion. Um, like, there's, good parts? I know, there's some good about? parts. That, Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> that it's because of leisure that we can actually contemplate the nature of God. So it's not organized religion. It's really sort of that personal relationship. Out of leisure comes opportunity for us to think about our, you know, our place in the world, you know, think about the people we love, connect with those that we love. I mean, I'm kind of ready to have a little bit of this sort of odd conversation about leisure again, because I'm ready to fight for this universal basic income. (laughs) I'm ready to change the work week. (laughs) 
I'm ready to work less. <laughs> I'm ready to work less. I'm, I'm ready, ready to work vacation, less. damn it. Yes, and I'm, re- I'm ready to I'm ready to help inform the culture around a desire to move away from coal, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to move away from oil. Somehow or another, my imagination is being stirred up. Chris, I don't know if you remember this, but many years ago, we always talk about how dark and dystopic the future has always been and is always presented. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need to introduce a different vision of the future because I've I've often felt like we were going to necessarily have that dark future because we spent so much time thinking about it. We we do not do enough of Star Trek's future. We always do the other side. Well, I, it's funny you said, do I remember us talking about this? I'm pretty certain we talked about that on last week's last episode. episode. <laughs> Did we talk about that? Dark dystopic future? But we, this, is a, this is a theme. We've talked about this many, many times over the well, years. Well, we're talking about it. I think offline, I was very much, I haven't talked about this on the podcast, but offline, I was very activated by watching Westworld, mm, um, okay. which is the HBO show about a is future. Is that recommendation, Chris? Okay. No, it's not. Uh, I just wanted to give you a chance to say that. I think it <laughs> honestly, I, I think I think as a science fiction show, I actually think it's successful, which is amazing because there's so few good science fiction shows in this vein. But again, it's a future where where we're told that human beings have put in a intense amount of energy and money, and the result is that it allows them to be even more violent and more rapey than we, than we already are. Like as if that's a basic, that's something basic to us. And when you tell these stories over and over again, it becomes instructive. I challenge that. So these dystopian futures, you know, like Trish said, you just thought that's where we'd end up. It's like our storytellers need to do better. We need more Gene Roddenberries who have a vision for the future that don't always include us destroying each other. Think about this. Think about every science fiction uh, show or movie that you've ever seen. When aliens arrive, their implicit motive is to destroy us, even when they're supra intelligent. Yeah. When they are far beyond us technologically, socially, and philosophically, it comes down to they want to exterminate us. What's the lesson being taught there? Like if we were a hundred times smarter, extermination would still be in our mind for other cultures. Like that's, mm-mm. no, I'm not going to accept that. That doesn't make any sense. We can do better. We just don't. So all storytellers out there do better. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Tell them, Chris. Yes. Tell them. And, you know, and that's know. how we're, that is how we're ending the live show. This was a lot of fun, guys. It was fun. I, I, I appreciate it. I, I know. Thank you, guests, for coming on. Everyone else was too great. scared to come on. Um, lurkers, thank you for listening. Do you guys want to do this again sometime? I definitely want to do it again. All right. Maybe we can do it live and in person. We can sell tickets, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> no, maybe just my living room. Right. Have a big party there. I love it. <sighs> All right, everybody. And to everyone listening, good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>